Hello. Grants Pass Vineyard people. Just so you know, this is one of the only states I've never been to. It's the first time in your state of Oregon. And I've had a good time since we got here. We went, first we ran all around. We got in uh, Wednesday afternoon and then went up at Crater Lake, all the way up to Crater Lake. But couldn't see it because it was full of smoke. <laughs> and I'm going to look at the pictures. I go, yeah, I'm sure it's great. I'm sure I'll get to see it this time. But to tell you, and I, it was great. We went up the river yesterday, the, this jet boat up the river splashing. And, you know, I just liked it. You know, it was great. Barb and I and a group of people. And the Lord, I will tell you something. Ever since I've been here, something that's pretty unique. And, uh, it's always unique in the Lord. Uh, but, uh, when I came in here tonight, I just really like it here. Something new is going to happen that's been in the making for years. Sometimes things build up and then they get to what somebody calls a tipping point. I can tell you this, that every prayer that was ever prayed by anybody anywhere went into a place in heaven and into a jar that's before the throne of God. And at particular times, those jars get tipped over. And sometimes they get gathered up and there's an angel that goes over to the altar of God and gets fire from the altar of God and mixes it with the prayers of saints and casts it down to the earth. My particular belief, it's a fiery bad thing for the wrong people. <laughs> but it's a hot, beautiful, warm, fiery thing for the people that want it. And I believe God needs to bring in our nation a fire of revival that eclipses everything in history. <clears throat> Tonight is September 10th. 20 years ago, some 3,000 people did not know the next day would be the last day of their life. I remember where I was when I heard about 9-11. I remember certain things that happened. To this day, I grieve when I look at new pictures of New York City, or actually it was in New York City earlier this, in the month of May, and those towers aren't there, and it hurts me. Not just because the loss of those 3,000 people and the attack upon America, but for a period of time, some six to eight weeks, there was no sports. People wanted to be with their families. When people who were called heroes, they denied being called heroes and says the heroes were the firemen and the police that ran into that building to save lives and some of them got killed doing so. That our nation was in prayer. Hadn't been in that much prayer since World War II. When we were really were at a real war, visibly all over the world. Could have been the end of the world in some ways. And I believe that the Lord is still waiting for his people 
to rise up with a boldness, not just because of what we're against, but who we're for and what he wants to bring. And I, now there's parts of me you'll probably get to know and all that. I, I want to be who I'm supposed to be for this place this weekend. And like I said, it's, I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad we're here. We're all glad. So I'm glad <clears throat> Robert and Barbara Henderson who've done a lot of stuff to get us here. And, and we've enjoyed the process and we're very thankful. So let's, I just want you, let's all agree that God's going to do something significant for each one of us. And it's okay to say starting with me. Me, me, and you, you. How many of you, seriously, let's just agree. How many of you can believe and will agree that God will do something significant in your lives, our lives, their lives? How many want to, does everybody want to agree to that? Let's say, Lord, I agree. You will do something significant. Because we ask and we expect you're hearing us. And we're ready. <laughs> oh. Well, I, unfortunately, my book, Supernatural Courage, isn't coming here yet that I know of. My other book, uh, well, I've got actually six books. Some of them I wrote by myself. Some I wrote with other people. Uh, the one, uh, Falling Into Heaven, is out there. and welcome you to take a look at it if you want it. It's actually good. I really, one of the best things about it is giving it to someone else. And just say, read it. And then say, what did you think? And then pray with them. It's a, it's a pretty good opportunity <laughs> to see the Lord touch other people's lives. So, so I'm going to just give my little bit of an introduction. I'm going to tell some Holy Ghost stories, some ghost stories. Everybody, it's Friday. It's a good time for a ghost story. <laughs> a little comment on this. I was actually asked to write the book about supernatural courage. And then they, they said they wanted to change the name. They wanted to call it, publishers wanted to get down to a one-word title. They said, call it Brave. Evidently, there's something about women in Christian bookstores, they like the word brave. But they said, you know what? I think it's supposed to be supernatural courage. So I actually insisted on keeping the title, and I think it's the right title. Okay? And this, I was asked to do this before two years ago when a lot of terrible things began to happen in our lives personally and then obviously in the whole world with this uh, COVID thing, this uh, covid yes. <laughs> Supernatural courage rises up in our will to accept, to commit, and to engage in activities <clears throat> that we would feel limited because of our rational or natural circumstances. You get that? When we commit to do something that looks like there's a big challenge and that it might not work, something could go wrong, or I'm not good enough, any of those fly-by thoughts that try to come in to stop you from taking a step of faith, the first thing you need to do is, is just say yes to the Lord. Second thing is say, how are we going to do this? And the third thing says, okay, I'll take, I'll take a step and go there. But this courage rises up to do something beyond your ability. And it's amazing. The Old Testament is filled with heroes of the faith 
many times unlikely people chosen by God to do really extraordinary things. How many understand that? You got, you know, David and Goliath. There's all kinds of secular people. Everybody knows that story. They like to think of the underdog taking the gnarly, you know, Goliath. I think he actually measured nine foot six. And this guy fell out of the ugly tree and hit every branch. There was nothing about this guy that was getting him on the magazine cover of GQ. This guy was gnarly. He probably had spikes coming out of his face. He had more than tattoos. He was mean and rotten and nasty. And he was just a killer. And yet David had brothers in the army. They had David brothers in martial arts. And, the, and the Samuel the prophet goes through all of them. And he goes, is that it? God says, he says, well, I got one other one. This little guy out there, a guitar player out there with the sheep. Get rid of And then he's chosen. I'm talking about David now. <clears throat> David didn't look like the type to be a mighty warrior for God. But he was out worshiping God. He was out doing what we were doing. First of all, thank you for the worship team. Thank you for the worship team. <laughs> Building something in him in the spirit that for his life, when it was needed, God would bring something out of him to do stuff pretty brave and bold and wild and crazy. So, so we see courageous people throughout the Old Testament. However, however, the New Testament, in the New Testament, Jesus is our model for all things supernatural. Kind of amazing that he chose and equipped seemingly unlikely group of disciples to be commissioned to advance the church and demonstrate the kingdom. We had four probably kind of working-class redneck fishermen. First off, four of them. Two. And you had a tax collector. He had two guys called the Sons of Thunder. Pretty cool name. Be a good rock band name if you want. He had a tax collector that nobody likes. All these people, they looked, these guys had nothing in common except they were chosen to be followers of Jesus. The church Barbara and I pastored in Ohio, <clears throat> we had two pews of people that were formerly Amish. We had a Christian motorcycle gang that would drive out to Sturgis and witness to all of those wild people, and they never got hassled. People had respect for them because they were bold and they were honest and they loved Jesus. We had... We had the, the county prosecutor as became a judge. This looked in more variety than that bar in the first Star Wars movie with all these. <laughs> what have they got in common? Maybe you young kids didn't see the, those kids in the back. Did you see the first Star Wars movie? The first one is the really good one, okay? <laughs> but the only thing that we had in common, they were all followers of Jesus. Anyway... Uh, and I, and I, you know, I just love coming into a, a place like this, especially for the first time. It just sensed the smell of the Holy Spirit. And here we are 2,000 years later, the dawn of the third millennium. And we who are as disciples, we have the same commission, which is to declare and to demonstrate the kingdom of God. Even now, with the threat of fear and confusion bombarding us through media and through every type of expression, there must arise a brave company of fully activated men and women to give a clarion call of the message of Jesus Christ our Lord to a world that is shaken and afraid. 
People's trust has been violated. <clears throat> People's stability, everything is unstable. Is there going to be, everybody thought this virus will be over, you know, a year and a half ago when it got warm outside or when a vaccine came out or just when this one country would stop having it. And they keep talking about, talking about it, and talking about it. Then you got the economy. You got all, is there any good news? In case you know, I will talk negatively about certain media things. CNN stands for continuously negative news. Yeah. And actually, psychiatrists will tell you that human beings are wired to remember bad things more. And it may have something to do with the, uh, somehow protecting yourself. Having lived after death for 53 years, the only real protection I know is Jesus. Everything's dangerous. <laughs> and I'm not afraid. You know, after being in an airplane crash, I have flown probably over 3 million commercial miles. I love airplanes. It's faster than taking a horse here all the way. You know. But it's, it's a terrible thing when somebody's afraid. It's a terrible thing when someone's shaken. So it's a wonderful thing when God can have a breakthrough in someone's life who needs it. How many would say it's a wonderful thing? <laughs> Shaken and afraid. I, I want to, because I'm going to tell some of my, probably some of you expected for me to tell my testimony. And you're singing songs, almost insisting on it, so I'm, I'm going to do it. Because it's, it's, it's pretty cool to talk about stuff that shows the real identity of God. Okay, he's, and I think a lot of, there's a lot of misconceptions or limitations on, on, on who the Lord is, and, who, and he's more than just a savior, that you've got fire insurance, that you're going to go to heaven and not to hell. It's pretty good insurance, but it's not even the full message of the kingdom. So we'll talk about that. So I, I grew up, I started out as a child, a very small child when I was born, <laughs> in a, a place called Cleveland, Ohio. That's where I was born. Anybody hear of it? place. And uh, then I grew up in a little town called Independence, which is a suburb. And so I was a child in the 1950s and a teenager in the 1960s. I would, <clears throat> my mom was a, her father immigrated from Italy. There was a couple of kids born in Italy. He left his wife and kids there to come to America to kind of be, you know, start a new life and worked, constructed, did something. And then he went and got the family and they moved here a couple of years later. And my mom was either the first or second one of, that, of nine kids to be born and so she was born in an Italian neighborhood. My grandmother lived here for 60 years, only knew two words of English. Machina, that's a car. And napkin, that's a napkin. You didn't have to, they, in an Italian neighborhood, they kept it all Italian. Garlic hanging off the front door, talking only in Italian and all that. And, you know, and so what we didn't know, you know, I was a kid that didn't grew up in the suburbs. And so my mom was this little Italian lady you know, a superstitious Roman Catholic. Now, I'm not here to cast asparagus on Catholic churches, but I know a little bit about it. So from the time I'm a little baby, I've been in the Catholic church. Now, my father was an atheist, and he didn't like anything to do with that. He was a CNE. He would go to church on Christmas and Easter. Some people, that's overdoing it, but that's... <laughs> They'd drop us off. He'd go do whatever he did. We went to churches. So I went to Catholic school. We had nuns. Now, these nuns were real nuns. They were the kind, like Whoopi Goldberg dealt with in Sister Act, okay? <laughs> they had the real nun clothes. They 
hear them down the hall, they sound like a stopo coming. They're clicking their heels. And if you made a mistake, you put your knuckles out there, and they have a Braveheart ruler. And they whack you with that thing. These nuns were wound tight. I think they needed to go on a date with somebody, <laughs> to be honest. They were wound tight. <clears throat> so I had eighth grade Catholic school, WEMO, you know, all through Catholic school. <clears throat> and as a child, I was really good at sports and growing up, I was good at sports. Sports was an important thing, especially if you're good at it. And then looking out into the world, I realized that you could be somebody, you could do stuff. You know, and so the American dream, you know, I was probably maybe the first television age person, but uh, I didn't watch a lot of TV. I play outside. You were allowed to play outside. And you weren't afraid of, you didn't, weren't afraid of terrorism. You weren't afraid of robbery. You, weren't, you didn't lock your door. You, didn't, you, you could talk on your phone. Other people were listening because you had party lines. You didn't have cell phones. And, whatever. and we just were running around. And I realized that one of my goals, especially as a little kid, was to go look in bushes for empty pop bottles. Because you could take them back and get two cents a shot for those. And you could get enough candy, candy to go the entire day. Just load up and just didn't matter. You just got candy. You're good to go. So this was America in my childhood. And then, and then, but at home, inside the house, there was trouble. My dad, not only was an atheist, he was an alcoholic. And there was a lot of domestic stuff. So there was arguments and stuff. And so I wanted a life outside of that. And I didn't think that much about it, even though it was, it was traumatic. I had, I had visions of being somebody different. So I was going to get a job and do stuff and be somebody and you know, but, you know my sports made me be in the right crowd and whatever and then when I was 18 I got a job in a stock brokerage firm I have to tell you a little story back when I was in about the fourth grade when you're a kid and you're in Catholic church and Catholic school and everything you go to church a lot every you know every Sunday every holiday every holiday maybe even Groundhog Day I can't remember we just church a lot and I, I became an altar boy because you get to get out of stuff if you're an altar boy. So, and the first time I ever went down in the spirit, I was running the incense at 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> Smoke in L.A. I went <laughs> but the Catholics, they got some cool stuff, man. They got these shiny stuff, candles and all that. And uh, he had to go to Confession. Those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, please learn because it's very important. Confession is a little boxy, like a, a wooden place. And you go inside, and there's a little, you can't see through it, a little corrugated plastic thing, and there's a light on, and you can see this shadowy figure of, of, the, feast, of the priest, and you're in this dark side, and it has a certain confessional smell because people are dumping all these bad confessions in there. <laughs> well, I think. Whatever. Yeah, you stand in line, and it's, you're going to be your turn at about six or eight kids in front of you. And so you're thinking of what you're going to say. So you make up a list of sins that you, that you don't feel guilty about. You know, just, uh, I, I teased my brother. I lied to my mother. I, I, didn't, I didn't come home on time. None of the real stuff. You just made up stuff, you know. You, you go in and you can see, you start, you go, bless me, Father, for I've seen my last confession was like three weeks ago. What did you do? Phony list, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Be a good person. Don't do any more now. <clears throat> now, make a... Now make a good act of contrition. The act of contrition is a prayer I had memorized. I could stand on my head and sort out baseball cards and say this prayer without saying a word. I'd done it hundreds of times. For some reason that time, I forgot every word. <laughs> so I go, 
Oh no, no, no. They fired their guns and the British kept it coming. Now, <laughs> so I started, pretended to pray, and the guy, this big Polish priest says, Young man! All the blood in my body goes to my face. My ears are, What? Don't you know what you're saying? Don't you man, you forget that as long as you live. Just go out there. Ten our fathers, ten Hail Marys on your face. Get out of here. Scared the yoga out of me. This big, giant Polish priest just yelled at me. So I'd see him on the playground, you know, miles away. I didn't want to get near that guy. First time I become an altar boy and get mass, who do I get? That guy. And, and he's up there, and you got the first job you get as an older boy, you only got to do two things. You ring these little golden bells twice. I was so nervous on making a mistake, that he'd make a move. I'd go, ding, 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 ding. Wait a little while, I'd do something else. I'd go, bing, 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 bing. And he'd go, like this, I'm figuring, he wants more. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> People are. I, <laughs> I was so afraid of this guy. That actually happened, so he didn't, you know, that was it. They shipped him off to another church. Goodbye, glad to see you. I went to public high school, and, 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 and uh, you know, I was football, and I was on a swim team. I was in gymnast. You know, I liked sports. I was good at it. And then <clears throat> I had the right girlfriend, and had all the clothes and, and whatever. And when I graduated from high school, when I turned 18 years old, I started a job in a stock brokerage firm, which I never even read a book about investment. I just I looked in the paper and said, it's cool. I just dressed like James Bond. I'm down there. <laughs> you know, hey, I'm, I'm the guy. You know, and say, it's good, you see. They're interviewing 300 people. Uh, really? 300? That's a lot. <laughs> but they called me back on a list of 10, and they, I just talked to them, and they hired me, and then they promoted me. Now, I'm buying and selling millions of dollars worth of stock every day of other people's money. It was cool. It was flashy. It was fast as modern, stuff like that. But you know, the things of this world, as flashy and as cool as they might be, is never quite enough. You know, you just want a little bit more. And, so, you know, and I always liked excitement. I liked edgy stuff. So I always was fascinated with airplanes and, and flying and astronauts. I studied all that stuff, and I was going to do something. So I went down. There was a sportsman show they have every year in the city of Cleveland, giant auditorium filled up with all kinds of outfitters and stuff. And I wanted to see, there was a movie, a James Bond movie, where he takes a big trunk, opens it up, and puts it together, this little helicopter with a Volkswagen motor, a lawn chair. I'm sure duct tape was involved. <laughs> it's called a Benson Gyrocopter. Some guy in North Carolina makes it, and for about 1,600 bucks, if you're, you, know, you can do it. And it's really pretty cool. So I was, I'm going to go down, I would look at uh, that I could afford to buy something like that. And I'll be flying on my own. And so I'm looking for this place, and I see this big screen with these colored pictures on it. I look at it, and it's like the guy in the movie that sees the girl, and it gets blurry on both sides. He's running in slow motion. <laughs> I come up, and it's at a skydiving exhibit, Cleveland School of Sport Parachuting. Whoa, cool. I can do that. Yeah, you can. So I sign up. Next Saturday, I'm out there. Whammo. I make one parachute jump. Boomo. I become a skydiving, skydiving crackhead. One jump. Oh, I got to do more. So I sign up. Yeah, you make me a deal. Seven jumps. Right. And then I go. So if you, make, if you do five of them right, and it's like a, you, you do a static line, it's like what the smoke jumpers do. They hook up, they go, whoa, they jump out. And you pretend like you're going in free fall, and you pretend like you're pulling the ripcord. Most people never come back. One jump, that's enough. Your birthday or you know, it's 
they just, they, most of the time, one time. So I, all seven, and so my sixth jump, you go into free fall, which is really cool, and you open your own parachute. Seventh jump, then after that, it's like, wham! So I just kept getting better and better. After 20 jumps, somebody asked me to be on a professional demonstration skydiving team. 20 jumps. I was a beginner, but I was. I was actually pretty good at it. I was a gymnastics. I loved flying. I was good at it. I just liked it, and it was easy. I was never afraid. And uh, one of the things that, that there was a guy, he's one of the earliest real skydivers, and I was having a problem making contact with people in the air called relative work. You go into free fall, other people come out, and you're supposed to join together. People weren't catching me. So he says, you want to do that? So he says, go out. we went up to 9,000 feet. Because you go out and you look, and he says, just look at something like a, a pond or a barn, and just go as slow as you can go. So I go out, and I'm like this big action, cupping the air, and I go as slow as I can go. All of a sudden, Dan comes from behind me in free fall after other plane, grabs you by the ankle, spins around. There I am face to face with another human being, going 130 miles an hour, and it's really cool. <laughs> well, he, you see, it's something, I guess it's part of my makeup. I like making contact with people. And to do it in, in free fall going 130 miles an hour, and then you realize that you can really fly. I mean, you really feel like you're flying. And yeah. when you go into a tracking thing like this, you can go two feet across for every foot you fall, and you feel like you're flying. But you are not flying. <laughs> the most important thing about a parachute jump is opening your parachute. <laughs> There's a slight difference between golf and skydiving. Did you believe that? This is golf, and you make a mistake. Whack! Oh, darn. This is skydiving and making a mistake. Darn! And then, then whack! You don't pick up the ball and go again. You know what I'm but I never thought about danger. I never thought about stuff. I just loved skydiving. I loved being in free fall. I put business, getting married for my girlfriend on the back. Where I was just going to do this because I was living for the moment. You ever heard the term living for the moment? My moment was literal. 30, 40, 50, 60 seconds of free fall, five or six seconds of beautiful parachute ride, and it is really cool. And then do it again. I didn't know in 1968 that my, a person's life, when you're young and you're bulletproof and you got mock, you know, you're doing stuff, it seems everything's working, that things could change totally radically and it would never be the same forever. It didn't seem like that, that didn't seem real to me. And all the time, growing up, though I was in church every Sunday, I didn't know what it was to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. I never met anybody that said they actually had an encounter with the Lord or a relationship with the Lord or had answered prayer or had any kind of thing. There was no such thing as praise and worship. None. Didn't hear about it. Didn't know about it. I lived in America. I didn't live in a cave or in an Amish community. I was out there. I'd never heard the gospel from any individual personally or a testimony and yet I knew all about Jesus, history-wise, or that church culture-wise. My life was about the moment. And going up to make a practice parachute jump with two of the professional skydivers on our team, two students that we were going to put out, uh, we had an engine failure shortly after takeoff. Piper Cherokee 6, five seats taken out, going 100 miles an hour. I'm sitting on the floor. We lose the engine, and you lose the lift, which is the aerodynamic force, which makes an airplane fly. So it's falling out of the sky, 100 miles an hour. We hit a tree. Terrible impact. My face, no seat belt, hits the instrument panel going 100 miles an hour. 
It's a terrible head injury. We cartwheel, we wedge in the ground. Uh, the plane explodes. There's gasoline all over inside. The other skydivers are escaping, and just as they're escaping, there's <clears throat> a huge explosion. They hear screaming and realize, I'm trapped inside, and the pilot's stuck inside. Dan, the guy that was my partner, started this club with me, goes back in, pulls me, pulls me out with superhuman strength. Somehow something had, either my parachute equipment or my clothes caught on something, and I was stuck. I had my leg going through this hole. was torn in the side of the plane where the wing had been. I was trying to get out, and yet I was soaked with gasoline and burning alive. Rips, rips by the parachute, rips with his bare hands. This parachute harness could lift up 2,000 pounds of tensile strength. Tears it with his bare hands, takes it out. Rolls on the ground, fire goes out. And he takes some steps. He says, go. And I took, I remember hazing. I don't remember the fire. I don't remember the actual crash. But I remember I was walking away, and then I fell over backwards. My head hit the ground. I put my hand, and I looked, and the back of my head was stuck to the palm of my hand. Well, then I passed out again. Next thing I know, I was in an ambulance, roaring to a hospital with a siren going. And the sound of that siren, I was looking up at the scene. I didn't know how bad I was hurt because I'm going into shock. I said, God, help me. God, help me. I'm sorry. Help me. A God I did not know and called out to a Lord I didn't ever serve. But I, I was desperate. From minutes before, a half hour before, I was having the time of my life. I was in control. I was strong. I knew what I was doing. Nothing could go wrong. This was not only easy for me, this was really pleasure. You know, I could talk, people can talk about the seven mountains, and there's certain relevancy about that. People do things. Why do people do things? Why do people choose things? Because it pleases them. <laughs> Let's be real. If you talk about stuff, if you're having a reminiscent talk, you talk about a good time you had in high school, you talk about a good time you did at a job or a sport or a date or something, you talk about something that pleases you. Isn't that right? People choose to do something that pleases you. I didn't know anything about it. What I was doing skydiving was really turning me on, but it's limited to the moments of this world. Why would I care about eternity? Why would I care about what's really important in life? I was bound and limited by the revelation I had of earthly existence. And for me, I was doing pretty good until I caught on fire. And they rushed me to the hospital. And somehow, somebody got a hold of that priest that scared me so bad in the fourth grade. I don't know how or why he was picked, but this big Polish man came to the hospital. Now it wasn't a horrible screaming at me voice. And those, that big Polish hand got the oil out and he said the Latin prayer of the sacrament called extreme unction, which people commonly called the last rites, that they do it only when somebody's going to die or is dying. And you can read it in my book, the Latin prayers, and of the five places that he's commanded to anoint with oil were the five worst places my body was burned. And then I went into surgery, and then I was unconscious. The doctors didn't think I'd make it through the night. I had massive burns over large, large parts of my body, blind in my right eye, brain injury from hitting my head. And the following weeks, I would go into horrible uh, conditions, massive infection all throughout my body, inside my body, uh, massive weight loss, lost over 45% of my total body weight. And I didn't have a lot of body fat. I was an athlete. 
from below my knees all the way down the nerves in front, all the way down the tops of my feet. The nerves were dead, and my feet were curled up. Went from 175 pounds to 93 pounds in a matter of weeks. I had holes in my body, some of them this big, where bones were sticking out. Even though they didn't think I was going to live, they were doing all the stuff that they could think to do with medicine, antibiotics, stuff. And there was no pain medicine to stop this kind of pain. When I wasn't in a coma, when I wasn't half weak, you're super alert. And when they give you a pain shot of the largest legal dose, it does nothing to stop this kind of pain. It's horrible. And after they tried everything, I kept getting worse and worse. They brought in a specialist and the doctor from a famous hospital. And he listed all the different, about six or seven, and they were all fatal complications. He said, there's nothing I can offer this young man. Basically, I was scientifically and medically hopeless. And a couple of days later, while in a coma, and I was in a coma. I'm talking about something that if you see, stick a fork in me, stick a knife in me, I wouldn't feel it. I couldn't hear or see. But there was my doctor was on this side of the bed with a chart, and he was talking to a nurse on the other side, and I could see him, and I could hear him talking. He says, when this patient dies, I want you to totally sanitize this area and move that shot victim, Mr. Clark, in here. No, no. So I was in a coma. I could not see or hear, but my spirit could see and hear that conversation. And the next day, as I was hardly breathing, they tipped me up a little bit. It was real rapid. I had a horrible fever from all the infection. Rapid breathing, good enough. I was dying. And, and I had a vision. I could see through the wall. And my little brother came in, Robert. I said, Robert, how'd you get in here? And he goes, so he, didn't say, he says, it's the morgue. I could see through the wall somehow. And I saw this chrome table. And that's where the spirit of death was trying to tell me I was going. And as I lay there after he left, suddenly my spirit was thrust out of my body. I was in a heavenly dimension, a spiritual dimension, shocked by the perception. No one's going to have to explain anything to you. You're just going to know that you know that you know. The colors of everything are more colorful than anything here on earth. Edges of everything are razor sharp. Everything about it is more intense. The emotions and, this, and there's three things I want to talk about that were stunning. I mentioned it this morning. The first thing is comprehending and knowing eternity. I am a spirit. I have a mind and a soul, and I live in a body. The body is my earth suit. It's a temporary housing for life on earth. If you look at a space scene of an astronaut out there walking in space, you see a person in a white, cool space suit. But the real person's inside. Your spirit is inside. This is your earth suit. Cause you to be able to navigate and live on this planet. But your spirit being is everlasting. And you don't know that, and you will know that. Comedian uh, Woody Allen said, he said, I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Well, that's... <laughs> sounds pretty funny, but... And I'd like to tell Captain Kirk that space is not the final frontier. Eternity is the final frontier. And I don't care if a person is an atheist or a scientist or a genius or a Buddhist, or whatever. Yeah, not, not here to... Everybody, if you're unconscious, in a coma, an atheist, when you die, you're going to face eternity. If you don't believe it, it doesn't matter what you don't believe. It, I'll tell you what's real. And there, there's only two possibilities. There is life after death, or there's an endless state of nothingness. It's over. You turn into fertilizer. And the only thing that was here was when you were born and when you die. If that's the truth, 
you might as well party. Why keep the rules? Why would there be right and wrong? If all we are is the highest evolved thing on the food chain, who cares? Whether it's 20 years or 120, party, break the law, live it up, kill, steal, cheat, do whatever you get away with that turns you on. But you are going to face eternity. And there will be a resurrection of every person, righteous and unrighteous. If, if that isn't true, we're amongst all people to be the most pitied, Apostle Paul writes. I heard, would have heard that historically. Did I believe it? Not at all. I was dead in my trespasses. I was dead in my sin. I was alive biologically, but I wasn't alive spiritually. But as I was in this spiritual dimension and I was like gliding on a flight path up, to like a white, perfectly white circle off in a distance. It was whiter than snow and brighter than the sun, but you could look right at it, and it felt like a peace emanating from it. And as I got closer, almost right to it, I felt so, I say I felt so, like something, a pressure on my right side. I looked, and I looked into something, and instantly I had total comprehension. It's everlasting. It's empty. It's a bottomless pit. It's blacker than black. It's eternal. And if a person goes in there, they will be cut off forever from the source of all life. It's like if I would pick somebody up and dip you in a swimming pool of black ink and you'd be super conscious and you would know I will never see anything, anybody, do anything, have any chance to experience it. I will be locked in this endless state of eternal solitary confinement, cut off from the source of all life. That's hopeless. And that's the outer darkness. And that's a place that I saw and I could actually feel it and taste it. I'm on the very edge of eternity as this blackness is closing, this white this white portal and I said no Lord help me I'm sorry I want to live give me another chance I want to be alive and when I said those words I want to be alive I was thrust through this portal and I was standing in the presence of God I knew instantly I got eternal life I'm gonna live forever and this incredible God whose presence was somewhere off here on my left is gonna take care of me forever now I did not see any creature, any beings, any angels, any cool, heavenly beat. Didn't see any people, no relatives. Not surprised, but whatever. Didn't see any historical people. But I said, what was it like? Everything that this was made out of was everything is different because it's made out of different stuff. The laws are different in the spirit realm. Everything was like made out of like a translucent glass. And you could see through it. And everybody had all kinds of colors. And even colors you don't even know existed. You could see behind you, underneath you. And everything that's, and then there was this, river going through me. It's called the river of life. It had like little pieces of sparkly gold in it between my hips and my knees as right through me. And everything that, ri that river touches is more alive. You can take all the vitamins in the world. You can go to bar class, yoga, do no more life than the river of life produces. The most flabbergasting thing, and this is, you have to believe me when I tell you this. In my consciousness in this state, it's like I never did anything wrong. And I never experienced anything bad. How can that be? Well, I was not living for the Lord. But I had cried out to the Lord from the ambulance on the operating table at 2 in the morning in intensive care. And now on the very edge of eternal, I cried out to God. Anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then the Lord showed me about six and a half years of the future. Every second that was going to come. People I didn't know, circumstances on the earth. Some things, I saw my wife five years before we met. So the first house we were going to have was a rusty gate. 
I'm on it, and I could smell these lilac bushes. I didn't have a nose, but I could still smell pretty good. And I look, and I see this pretty blonde woman walking towards me, and I felt this piece. It was our farm that we were going to buy six years later. It's a person I hadn't met yet. I saw things on the earth that some of them were troubling, like some of the big rock festivals, like Woodstock, and I saw people doing drugs. I had no knowledge. I mean, I wasn't a very good guy, but I wasn't doing that. And some of the things, I was drawn into like the matrix of it. And the last thing I saw, saw a small group of people on a tropical place, and I could hear this person's voice, even it was far away. And all of a sudden, I was taken in, I'm in heaven, but I'm taken in this vision. And I listened to myself talking, and I looked, and I was saying, this is paradise. It was on the island of Jamaica, and that happened five years later when I was going to move to Jamaica, buy land, the world screwed up, I don't want to bother anybody, I'm going to pull people down the beach, and I have a live in a geodesic dome, we'll eat bananas and have fruits and vegetables, the world is screwy, but we'll just be nice people. And God stopped me. I had a little bit of money, enough that I could have done that. I said, Barbara, we can't do this. I went back to Ohio. We bought it. And everything I tried to do on my own did not work. But when God came in my life, God turned death backwards. I had seven fatal complications. People say, did you really die? I died enough. <laughs> now, ask Billy Crystal. He mostly <laughs> And I was blind for five and a half years, and the doctors can't understand how I can see. They say my eye is dead, my right eye. Both legs were paralyzed. I spoke to my legs, and they first didn't obey very good. They were rebellious. They were like the James Dobson defiant child. They move. And then one day, especially this leg, which was completely dead, no, nothing at all. They said you never, instantly was healed. I never got in a wheelchair again. I never used crutches again. I never was going to have leg braces. That was on May 15, 1969. Two months later, I jumped out of an airplane from 12,500 feet. The guy who saved my life and my kid brother, 12,500 feet, which is nice, nice altitude, nice and high. It was the only time that I should have been worried because I didn't know if I had enough body weight to completely fall all the way. I was 115 pounds. Cleveland News, 6 o'clock news. And there's a cold front coming in. There's that guy in the jet stream coming around for the two. <laughs> and it was great. You know, world champion comes up and signs my birthday. thought it was great. Mickey jumps off an airplane. Mickey's back and doing that. But God didn't save me just to be able to jump out of an airplane or to be a snow skier or to do whatever I'm doing. God brought me back. Basically, did he not answer my prayer? I'm sorry. Give me another chance. I want to be alive. Other than I had a lot of challenges being losing everything, the girl I was going to marry, the talent and the gifts I had, kind of my looks that would get me in and out of places. You know, I, I caused a lot of problems. People would not rubberneck. They would stop their cars and see me and crash into another car. And I, I'll tell you, one of the, you know, there's a lot of things I could talk about. One of the things I was impressed during worship, I'll tell you a story. That I hardly ever talk about this. It was the day I woke up. It was early on in my rehabilitation when the Spirit of God was coming to me, and I never knew what this, I never heard of this, okay? But it works even if you don't know what it is. It works here, and then it, it will come up here, and you'll have help. I had no one to talk. I'll tell you two things to how personal God is. I didn't know anybody who could explain to me the stuff I was experiencing. You know, the loss, the shock, and all that, but I was full of joy and full of the Holy Ghost. One time I went to see, uh, 
rock and roll concert with a young man I had met who had become a Christian, great guitar player named Phil Kege. Anybody know who he is? Been a friend of mine for more than 50 years. First Christian I met. So I'm standing outside. This is in a public place. Like These are all a bunch of hippies going in and some Jesus freaks. But I'm standing there. And I got separated from my friends. I'm just saying, saying to myself, God, nobody knows what I'm going through. I'm just talking under my breath. Not to, all of a sudden, I had my eyes closed. Somebody, I felt pressure in my shoulders. And some woman, young woman with long brown hair, bell-bottom pants, she's crying. She goes, Lordy. He's beautiful. Take him deeper. I felt the same love of God that I felt when I was in heaven. And the Lord spoke to me and says, Mickey, I know everything about you. Basically, God was saying, you will never be alone. Now, I didn't have anybody to talk to. And there's a day I woke up one time and everything that I was experiencing was by revelation. Like I'd look out, I'd look at something and there was a meaning. Something was on TV. It was a meeting. It, I was freaked. It just went on all day into the night. And it, finally, at about 1 o'clock in the morning, uh, I, got, I called a cab and went over to see this friend. I said, i got to talk to somebody. So this friend of mine comes down. He's halfway downstairs. I wake him up. And he starts talking. And around his body, a band of gold light forms. Like, you know, what the artist tried to say. And he's, he's not talking to me, but the Lord's talking through this guy who's a friend of mine. And I was actually felt guilty because I had not been a good enough example for my kid brother about the Lord. Because I, didn't know, I just knew that stuff I was doing wasn't right. And so he, he got done talking to me. The, the light went off of him. And I went out in his living room. And I just started, I got on the floor and I started praying. I said, God, please help me. I'm sorry. I need to figure this out. Lord, help me. And as I was praying, lightning hit the tree in front of this guy's mother's house. The whole house turned white. It shook. Started pouring down rain. I started bawling, and God was cleansing me of something else, freeing me of something. I didn't know what was going on, but, man, it, I was pouring inside more than I was outside. And his mother comes in. That's really raining. That's really raining. So, so I, get, I go home at night. I try to sleep. I can't sleep. But I get up. I said, I got to talk to somebody. So I, I go to this little church in this town where I grew up. Of course, there's different priests there. Not the guy that scared me so bad. He's somewhere else. I go in there and knock on the door. I says, I got to talk to you. So this guy sits down. I'm in his desk. I'd never been in the priest house before. Very priest house-ish. And he said, got the black and white collar thing on. And he's just going. And I'm going 100 miles an hour, talking about I was born, talking about this, talking about that. And I get to last night, and I go, I'm talking to my friend, and I'm out praying. And as I was praying, lightning, when I said the word lightning, lightning hits the building we were in. This priest is trying to light a cigarette, and he's shaking so bad he can't connect the cigarette and his mouth to the Bic lighter. I mean, he's like, and I say, lightning, when I said lightning hit, kaboom, hits the very building of the priest's house. He goes, oh, you know, the cigarette goes that way, the chair flies back, he goes, he goes, please, no. And I never stopped talking. The lightning, forget the lightning, I got to finish. Somebody tell me, what is it, what does this mean? No, I don't know, I don't know what this means. I can't help you. He just gets a little booklet, he goes, please, read this. Don't ever come back here again. I swear to God. Do you think that God was trying to get a message to this priest? And do you think I was desperate to find help? And I want you to know that I have run around on the earth with some, you know, a lot of stuff that God did is very sovereign. He did it on his own. He used doctors to help me. He used therapists to help me. But some of the healings, 
all of the doctors will tell you, uh, unbelievers will tell you, it doesn't, it's not, doesn't add up scientifically. But there's a lot of people that don't know the Lord. And I'm called, God takes the ridiculous and he does the miraculous. He does the unconventional to do the foundational. Okay, we got to read the Bible to prove this is a Christian meeting. I had the privilege of being in meetings, doing meetings with John Wilbur. He would just stop and say, I love this stuff. I said, a friend of mine in Canada caught me doing that, and he accused me of doing that all the time, and I do. I love this stuff. I love this stuff. I live to see this stuff happen. How about you? Okay. In the Bible, real people had been captured by bad guys. Real people who were moving in supernatural courage and didn't care what certain other people said or thought. How about that? They were, they were passionately and zealously affected for the purpose of God. You know, the same thing happened to me. Oh, Lord, have mercy. So Peter and John have been captured and arrested and put in jail. And they're told, you got to stop talking publicly about this stuff, about Jesus and the resurrection. And it says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people, and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he's been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven by which men must be sozoed. Saved, healed, delivered, restored, born again. All of that redemptive love and power. No other way but Yahweh. Now when they saw the boldness, parentheses, the supernatural courage and Peter and John, and they perceived they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Picture this scenario. These men were followers of Jesus for three plus years, the stuff that you've read about Jesus, they were chosen to be witnesses, not only of what he did then, and not only what he did on the cross, but being resurrected from the dead. They were eyewitnesses. It's recorded in the book of Acts. At one time, it appeared to 500 people at one time. And yet some of them still did not believe. That kind of blows me away. The man was raised from the dead. Unbelief is a terrible thing. So for me, 
The only explanation about me is that Jesus is alive, and so am I. The accusation of the fallacy of the church of Laodicea is they thought they were together. He says, but you're blind, naked, and wretched, and poor. Well, my former life, I thought I, I thought I had my act. I was getting my act together. I thought I had my act together. God isn't interested in people who think they have their act together. He's interested in people who know their act is over. That we can't pretend to be of any good unless God impacts our lives and we walk and follow him. Again, I mean, I'm the best example of something ridiculous being turned into something miraculous. Weakness, I had every kind of weakness. I had physical weakness, you would agree. But if you think I'm faking it, I'll show you some more stuff. <laughs> Emotionally troubled. Spiritually, light and darkness, life and death. When I re but when the Lord sent me back from this third heaven encounter, and the same way I left, I came from the third heaven through the second heaven. Through, I could feel my spirit go through the roof of the hospital and feel my spirit sink into my physical body. And the room material, I'm laying on my in intensive care. And I could see out of the side. This one was blind. I could hear out of my ears. And I, the, material, the room materialized like when they beam up on Star Trek. And out of my mouth, I'm having this beautiful language of praise that I never heard about. I was beside myself. So what are you doing? And then it stopped. But the person who was condemned to death, seven fatal complications, nothing had changed, but that the love that I experienced in heaven was now inside me. And that river that I saw in the third heaven was also inside me. And all of a sudden I had this ability. I, I, around the bed, there was, I don't know, like four, five, six doctors and nurses staring at me. And I also had the ability to know what was going on in each one of them. I could feel their, their very insides. And these people were terrified. They needed to go change their pampers. They were really scared of what they just saw. They got to write about it. I felt bad for them. I'm the one with really the major problems. Would you agree? I, mean, I got some serious, realistic problems. But this love was so overwhelming, I just felt bad for them. And... You know, they're still waiting for me to die that day, the next day, the day after. I was still, you know, near death for months. But the life that we talk about, the price that was paid for redemption to turn me from death. You know, we sang a song, I rejoice, not that I can move into spiritual gifts, but my name is in a book called the Book of Life. It's better than Facebook. Better than Instagram. It's better than People Magazine. It's better, better than TV. Better than Academy Awards. There's a place that you need to know if you're there. It's the best place for your name to be. And I have boldness. And I have life. Because Christ the Lord is my Lord and Savior. And the Spirit of the Lord's inside me. So I was full of the Holy Spirit. Didn't even know what that was. You find out, though. I'll tell you one more. I'll tell you one more hospital story. They had, to, I told, they had to evacuate the intensive care because a guy got staph infection. He broke every bone in his body in a car. He had a cast from here all, all the way down his ankle. He looked like this. All, 
plaster. And he got a staph infection, and they said, if that got out, it would kill me and some of these other people in this little intensive care unit. So they set up this little temporary one downstairs in the first floor. And sometime, for some reason, I had visitors all the time, only family, but nobody would leave me alone, which was good. I needed, I needed help. And, uh, but this guy came in, comes walking up, and he goes, hi, excuse me, he said. And I was so weak that day. I could not move. I could barely talk. I just was sick, you know. I said, yeah. He said, can I pray for you? No one ever asked me to do that, so he prayed for me. I wish I knew what he prayed. And he says, okay, i read you something from the Bible. Now, remember, I am so sick, I could not lift this arm to scratch my face if it is. That's the only thing that wasn't totally destroyed. So he starts reading the Bible, and down here somewhere starts to be this vibration. He's reading more, and it's going up like a volcano. Now, I'm starting to do this. The more he read, pretty soon... The bars on this bed are ringing against the side of the bed. And my arms and legs are flapping. And I said, I go, I got to be some kind of a priest or something. I've been reboarding. I go, whoa. He goes, slow down. Easy, buddy. Whoa. Slow down. Nurse, come here. Whoa. Don't worry about it. Hey, he just, he sees the newspaper. Local pastor kills helpless burn victim in hospital. He thought I'm having some kind of a seizure, a heart attack, that it's his fault. But when the word of God was written, the spirit of God and my spirit began to get activated. There's something about being filled with the Holy Spirit, and there's something intentional by God of the spirit coming out of you. I believe that's what activated an acceleration in my healing. That was the first prophecy I ever gave. I believe that, that started to declare what I was going to do the rest of my life was bring the message of hope and life to a world that doesn't need religion. We need reality. We need the evidence that points to a living God. Not a pluralist. I can't hold hands with people of other religions and sing Kumbaya and say we're all in this together. No, I will love people and bless people, but I will not agree that there's anybody above the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not mad at them, but I saw what I saw that happened to me, how could I not passionately share this love, this love, with everybody God gives me an opportunity to? Why wouldn't I? If something good's happening to you, don't you want to tell somebody about it? Well, I don't want to offend anybody. What happens if you don't get to tell them? Maybe you're the one chosen to. It's not I don't do an obligation. I said, I love this stuff. You will not, I have a lot of, you know, Spoken in a lot of different countries, different people. Oh. But I've had so many. One, I've got a teaching. I don't know if I forgot to bring them there at the, they're at the hotel. I'll bring them tomorrow. One of them is called Being Inconvenienced for God. It's all of the interrupted divine appointments. And I have many of them throughout the year because I ask God hundreds of times, use me anytime and anywhere. Sometimes he's very impractical. <laughs> I think he's got AD, ADD sometimes. It's like, I'm in, I'm in the Atlanta airport, going to catch an airplane, flying on an airplane to somewhere else, to some very important place. And, uh, I'm looking, and so I go, and I said, where's the, 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 the club, the crown room, that's the Delta Airlines, so you go. And so I said, by A3, it says, the rest, yeah, go there. So I, I want to get a hamburger, because I'm realizing I'm looking at football scores on the thing, and there's some lady next to me, and blah, blah, yeah, how you doing? Where you go? You know, and, uh, and the Lord says, Ask that lady where she's going. It's like, well, I got the guy made a mistake. He told me 
my gate was A3. It was A33, which is not in Georgia anymore. It's probably in Alabama so far away. So, man, I'm going to wolf down this burger. I'm going to run. Ask her what she's doing. Lord, okay. okay, what are you doing? She says, actually, I'm... Uh, I said, where do you live? I said, I don't know where I live. I said, what? I said, well, I was married for like 30-some years. He said, my husband just told me a month ago that he's never loved me. He's found someone else. He flew to South America, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And the Lord said to me, he says, take her into the crown room and talk to her. So I went there and shared my testimony with her. This woman, who didn't look like there was anything wrong with her, her whole life, her whole world had just fallen apart and she didn't know what was going on shared for two minutes I shared my testimony I gave her a written article from a magazine I said here's my phone says, you read this God loves you and I walked out of there and said and God didn't kick. he made my plane late enough that I got on it and I made my point but this woman was as important there was nothing that she didn't look sad talking to her she didn't but when I did what God asked me to say to her, she opened up an opportunity. And a broken woman heard that there's hope from a God who knows how to help. I love all of the Bible, especially my favorite parts. Some of it you can try and skip over, but it's still in there. But... And how many of you believe that God wants to help all of us to accelerate in the things of the Lord? The prophet Isaiah, it's like, if you read it, it's like the fifth gospel. There's so much in here about Jesus being revealed. It's amazing. And some of the scholars, and I don't know if they're scholars or just people that read black and white stuff, so, well, it had to be written by somebody else because he couldn't be this accurate about it. Oh, Lord. So it says that the Lord lives in a high and a lofty place, but also with those with a broken and a contrite heart in order that he might revive them. Now, I know about brokenness, and I know I've had some voluntary experiences, and I've had some Holy Spirit getting on me things that God wanted to help me straighten some stuff out in my life, to, to have a contrite heart. And that prayer that that big Polish priest that I forgot that I knew memorized, the act of contrition is really a good prayer. It's kind of like Psalm 51. If you know anything about just look up the act of contrition. It's pretty good. It's a really good prayer. Well, even though at that time when I was, it didn't mean anything to me, it must have meant something to God that he took this same priest that scared me so bad. Instead of anointing me for death, that prayer is supposed to be about life. And you know that if you read in the book of Leviticus with the anointing and putting blood, put oil on, put the blood, the anointing oil on the places that's instructed by God calls forth the spirit to come. Now, oil is oil. It's not magic powder or some kind of... But God uses it. And I've seen there was, it was a, a Jewish young woman 
in intensive care in Chicago, and her family, Orthodox, allowed me to go up there and pray for her. There was nothing about her that was alive. It was all artificial, artificial blood pressure, breathing, all that. She was, she was out. Went, got up to go to pray for her in intensive care. Put the oil on her head. She groaned. She was in a coma. She wasn't really brain dead and everything. And my friend was whispering in her ear. I began to take authority and pray for her. She sat up, received Jesus. That oil and the faith that's associated with the things of God calls for the Spirit to come. When we pray for people, I want to encourage you this whole weekend. I'm here for a reason. Hopefully, it's to edify, to encourage, to activate, to give each other a nice push in the right direction. I want you to start believing that God wants to use you the same way he used our Lord Jesus when he walked around on the earth making footprints. Didn't he say, didn't he say, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Jesus was sent not to establish the world's greatest religion. Not that schools and buses would be named after such and such. He came to seek and to save those who were lost. Preach, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, edify people, speak the good news. Do you realize that the messages, the invitation that God has given for everybody, you're authorized to give those invitations to anybody and to everybody. I'll just tell you, not, uh, I said some unique things happened since we've been here. Since, they'll tell you, Robert and Barbara will tell you, Almost every person I ask how they're doing or can I pray for you are believers here in Oregon. More, I think everybody, I, I live in Nashville where everybody's a believer, even people that aren't there are believers. I mean, they're all. You go to have coffee, they're talking about church or ministry there. I mean, we're the most per capita, authentically real believers anywhere in the world is where I live in Middle Tennessee in Nashville. But everywhere we went, including the restaurant this evening, I asked this girl to come and pray. She said, I'd love to. If I, being a stranger who's strange, can come here and just touch certain lives, how many people that are in this room in the next, let's say, six months, how many lives can you encounter to find people like me that maybe heard about Jesus but doesn't know him? And everything they've experienced about church has been a bad experience or a non-experience. They're more interested in, in space aliens or the politics or all this stuff. How could I resist offering people the message of eternal life, or, along with that, God's presence in your life today. And I see God do this stuff. In every country I've ever been, he's never failed to help me do the impossible. I believe that one of the key ingredients for this present time need and for a move of God is for people just to invite people to have an experience with God. The least you can do is bless them and maybe put a dent in their unbelief or give them something supernatural or real to think about. We talk about planting seed or water. You'd be surprised how a little bit of God's help of the Holy Spirit can turn things around for people's lives. Yeah, I'm going to share some stuff tomorrow and Sunday. And please, tomorrow's worship thing. It's 9 o'clock, right? I'm going to tell them. I don't care, I don't care if you're a musician. Or if you don't even sing good, you make a joyful noise. And you sound great in the shower. Don't tell me you don't sing in the shower. 
come tomorrow. Matter of fact, we invite people. We're going to worship God, and we're going to write songs, and we're going to speak other languages even without making noise. We're going to learn a higher level of communication with God, and we're going to experience God. How many want that? And I believe if you'll just intentionally ask God, Lord, I want you to send people across my path, and he will give you skills and words and little door openers to get into their lives in a way that you see God do stuff. I know that by now you probably know, a lot of people maybe know that you go to church or you're a Jesus freak or whatever you are. Listen, God can make all things new, even people that know you. And more importantly, I know that the need in this country is greater than any time in my life as a believer than it's ever been for people to hear the real message of the kingdom, to hear the real gospel, not just you're in trouble, you're going to go to hell, God hates you. And I was like, that's not that good of news. Good news is God took somebody like me who wasn't living for God and with a small space of maybe a couple of weeks when there was no hope, he made me a messenger of hope and someone who could declare and demonstrate the kingdom and someone that people can see. You see, I just want to see if God's real. When God does something for them that they know it was God, that's real. even that priest was trying to light that cigarette, well, I think he probably knew that God was real when lightning hit his building, even though he was, and I hope that something good came out of it. Something good happened to me. I repented of more stuff. I got out of some insecurity. Do you believe I was insecure a little bit? Yeah. I got more focused on purpose, on my call. <laughs> this call is a pretty good call. I get to be someone who brings something good to everybody. If they reject it, I still pray that someday they'll remember it. I leave the results up to the Lord. I've learned after a period of time. Don't be result-oriented. But I've seen, I expect God, and I've seen God do all kinds of things way beyond the limits of natural ability. And I want us to believe here this weekend that God's going to do something significant to equip, to activate, to motivate. And I'm talking about being led of the Spirit is real motivation. Romans 8 says, and those that are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. Obviously, gender is inclusive. And the, whatever the word is, is, the grammar word, it means continuously led by the Spirit of God. I want to be chronically obedient. That means, you see, chronic usually is like something bad, like you've got a chronic illness, you've got a chronic habit. I want to, when the Holy Spirit says a little thing, I just do it. Just don't, don't question. Just go do what the Lord says to do. Go, go down and buy milk at the store. We got milk. Just go. There may be somebody next to you that is depressed and needs prayer. You know? Just obey God and you'd be surprised how cool he is. You'd really be surprised how amazing God is. <laughs> One more story and then we're going to pray, okay? Uh, we were speaking. We were doing a, an event in Sacramento, California. That's somewhere, right? There was 56 churches involved. There was four speakers. I was one of the guys that helped design the thing. And some, I think it was a vineyard church down in a place called uh, Salinas, California. Sorry. <laughs> the accent in the wrong syllable. 
a lot of lettuce there and avocados and stuff. Black soil from backwater from the ocean. Very nice for growing stuff. Well, on the way down, are these people trying to be nice to us? They're taking us to places we ate on a pier in Monterey. We had fish and ice and people jumping around, fish and all that. And we went to this Carmel, okay, the 17-mile drive. And look, and so then they take my wife Barbara into this store that people are buying clothes that I think is like a house payment worth of clothes. It's like, <laughs> it's time to go to the prayer meeting back in San <laughs> And so, so she gets something really little, and you know, this lady with this big ring on it, I think she'd have a rotator cuff injury because. <laughs> anyway, and so they leave, and they're going to, I said, I'll be right there. So I'm, I'm writing a check, because this is before we had bank cards. And, 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 and I have to show my, and the lady says, oh, this is the store owner in this fancy store in Carmel, California. And she says, oh, I see you're a Gemini. Yeah. So I says, you know. So says, yeah, but I got two birthdays. She goes, oh, really? See, new age people like anything strange. You could tell them you were born a dinosaur, they'd believe you, you know. <laughs> that you evolved instantly. You had some vitamins and rapid evolution. <laughs> what do you mean? So, so in 90 seconds, I share my testimony. I said, not only that, I said, three years ago, your husband broke your heart, left you for someone else. Now she's starting to cry. Mascara coming down on her nice, expensive white blouse. And you go, and you've just been really scared because something's wrong with you and you've gone to the doctor. I said, but you stay right here. You just stay right here. I'm going to go out. So I went out to the car and I got a videotape of my testimony, a, a written kind of a magazine thing or something with my thing on it. I wrote my thing on there and I come back and I put it She's crying. She writes, she says, I already know. I says, I read today in my Unity book, in her New Age book, that today was my day for divine destiny. God spoke to her out of her New Age book that he was sending somebody like me who wanted to get out of there in a hurry and go to the church prayer meeting, the big conference in Sacramento. And he loved her enough to interrupt my kind of busy life. And I ran out, so I run out and I walk right in to Hulk Hogan. The big guy from Rocky Three, okay? They go, hey, how you doing, man? He goes, how you doing? And so I start, I'm rolling. I share with him. And he goes, well, thank you. And then these people are starting to come. They recognize. So I don't want to bother. I said, here, take this. I give him something to read. And I run off. I'm feeling pretty. I said, this is amazing what God did with that woman. I found out last year, of course. Okay, I shared a little bit with Hulk Hogan. So what? I mean, that was, that was nice. I was in a good mood. God was in a better mood, actually. <laughs> this guy's a believer now. <laughs> you look him up? He's in a believer. He says, America doesn't need a vaccine. We need 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people call my name, will humble themselves and pray, I'll heal the land. Hulk Hogan is a believer. Oh, I shared with him. Was it me? It was probably millions of other people praying for him to have a real-life encounter. But maybe, maybe he read my little thing, and it's there inside of him. You'll never know what the word of God out of you might do to a person I could tell you story after story of unplanned divine appointments in my life that are spectacular. I'll tell you wonderful stories about things that people plan that are spectacular. But when you know that God cares so much for one person to love the hell out of them, that's what's hot being alive. That's what's cool about walking around the earth making footprints. That's what's cool about expecting God. These people said, whether you guys like it or not, we can't stop saying what we've seen and what they heard. And the guys were, were marvelous. Said, where'd they get this stuff? 
and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. He's God. All we need to make an eternal difference in the lives of people. America is in the balance. This wonderful nation, which I was born in, which I grew up in, and I've been all over the world, <coughs> good, bad, and ugly places, this is an exceptional country. God's not through. If God wasn't done with me, he's not through with America. If I was terminal, and now I'm alive, if I was blind, and now I can see, if I was lame, and now I can walk, those fingerprints belong to Jesus. And if I was that terminal as an individual, I'm believing that America can be revived. Amen. Revival is life from the dead. I was revived. I am revival. I know I was dead. I know I was blind. I know I couldn't walk. But here I am. And the biggest thing, the third thing I want to mention about the heavenly encounter, and the most amazing thing, is the undiluted love of God. His love is unlike any form of the highest form of a human love experience. In life experiences, the most miraculous thing is that God can love you. You can experience this love. This love is, I believe, <clears throat> is the highest thing, and it's the true evidence of the government of God. Romans 5 says, And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And if people don't like the Holy Spirit, I pity them. But if they don't want a gift of the Holy Spirit that God wants to give them, I'll take it, please. <laughs> I want everything that God has. I want all of his gifts. I want all of his character. I want all of the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we'll talk about this tomorrow night. Jesus spent 40%, 40% of the Gospel of John, 40% of that writing is the last week of Jesus' life, and we're going to look into why that's so significant. Preparing these people for momentary disaster with the rest of their life being filled with the Holy Spirit advancing the kingdom. If you don't think that these days are critical, to tonight, the 20-year anniversary of something that we should not forget that happened to this nation, things have changed then, 2008, you name whatever crisis. The answer, the response will be, I don't know who's going to do it besides me, but I am not going to stop doing what I was sent here to do. And I need help. I need, I want to see God raise up an army, a volunteer army. Psalm 100 says, it says, they will volunteer in the day of thy power. Tennessee is the volunteer state. I live there. I'm volunteering. I volunteered a long time ago. I volunteered hundreds of times, and it's worth it. But if we would believe, if you would believe right for this house, to make yourself available to God, to ask God to use you to invite people to have an encounter, a personal encounter with him, whether it's in this building, in your house, someone's house, on a lawn, at a dinner party, get bold. Get courageous. Ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. He will give you clues how to get into people's lives. You know, people get allergic to stuff. Are you a Christian? Some people, they don't want that. 
You just look at somebody and you can just ask them, you a follower of Jesus? 99% of the people say, why are you asking me that? And the Lord might show you something too because like this woman, I didn't know anything about this woman. I was in a hurry in the store to get out of there. The Lord just showed me that she was brokenhearted. And then find out before it's over that she's reading in her new age book that God sent it. It's her day of divine destiny. Who's divine? He is divine. I am the branch. <laughs> and he promised, he says, you'll bear fruit and your fruit will remain. I get to do this stuff. She's reading in her new age book. I was asked by the Mormons to go to Salt Lake City. The Mormons. They looked me up. They knew who I was. They knew I wasn't Mormon. So I'm in this amphitheater in Salt Lake City. All these Mormons over there looking like a tree full of owls. Who are you? <laughs> I shared my testimony for an hour. I answered questions for an hour. It was only one kind of strange question. It wasn't even that bad. And then they came down, and they bought all my stuff. All my teeth, everything, my books, CDs, whatever. So I was all running around Salt Lake City. And somebody, I walk up and I said, what do you want the Lord to do for you? I said, nothing. I don't so I said, bless you. And I just touched her. I was walking to the next person just to talk to them. She goes, she goes, do you have the gift of touch? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess so. I laid hands on her. <laughs> right there in Mormon City, you know. These people were curious. There's somebody who supposedly died and came back. I'd rather have somebody curious than somebody who's convinced that they know everything. I'd rather have somebody hungry for God, whatever it takes, than somebody who's been filled with the Holy Spirit 30 years ago, but they know everything. I'd rather have somebody who just wants to hear some reality and we respond to it. God can take them and do wonders with them. I really believe the Lord showed me that God wants to do something significant in here. And I'm not saying that because I think that's a cool place. I really believe it. Again, I think maybe what is needed is everybody who knows the Lord at this time on September 10th take the call of God more serious. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, there were 3,000 people that didn't know the next day would be the last day of their life. They didn't know. It's a beautiful day on 9-11 in New York City, blue sky. It's a terrible thing that happened. It's a terrible thing that happened in Minneapolis. And then people have had a wrong reaction. Yeah, it was terrible. That, what that cop did was murder. And he's paying a price more than a lot of people pay. It doesn't mean that people should be mad and hate each other. They don't tell you on the news how many people have been saved and baptized by people going out in the street and praying with the people that actually hate each other. You're not going to hear about that. Maybe if all of us take serious the important message that everybody at least needs an opportunity to be invited to have an experience with God, that God will help. God will help me. God interrupts me. Talk to some woman. I could tell you story after story after story of incredible one-on-one -on -one experiences. Amazing. I'll tell you one tomorrow night. Please come, or maybe Sunday. No, tomorrow night. I'll tell you one that happened in Italy that's just kind of mind-blowing. And he always does. He usually gets people's heart attention 
and then he does miracles and healings. He gets people's heart open. You see, the kingdom is both a declaration and a demonstration. Sometimes he'll demonstrate and then explain it. Sometimes he'll explain it and then the demonstration comes. Always the emphasis needs to go towards him. When there's really been a good meeting, it's not, oh, man, that man was really anointed. It should be, oh, God was there. God's here. He was here for me over there during worship. Let's pray. And if, young lady, if you can go up and maybe play a little bit, if you don't mind. You don't have to. You want to? Excuse me. Do you want to? Okay. How many are glad you're here? I would rather be here than the best hospital in Siberia. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not lying. That's really the truth. I'd rather be here than there. Father, I just want to thank you for Grant's pass. Lord, I thank you for the people that are here tonight. And Lord, I thank you for all the people you want to touch through every one of them. Holy Spirit, you're awesome in this place. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Those words really apply to everybody who's a real disciple or a follower of Jesus. If you want me to agree with you, the Father could take a busted up guy, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Mickey back together again, but God put me back together and sent me all over places, but I'm here tonight. I want to agree. If you want courage and confidence to operate in your sending the mission field may be no more than 25 miles away from here and that's big enough that need is great if you want courage and confidence to walk 
and why God created you. I don't care what your experience is up till now. All he needs you is to be willing. If you need, I want to agree with you as an individual. If you need help, if you want to be courageously bold, to be used of God whatever way he chooses, I want to agree with you. Raise your hand. Father, I just thank you for these people. I thank you, Lord God. I thank you that you know them. I thank you, God. You know everything about them. I thank you you created them for great purposes. I thank you, Lord, that your confidence is in placing them before people in person because you no longer are here physically, but your spirit is in them. And that you promised that greater things would happen. In this day and hour, Lord, these people are needed. I just bless them right now. Raise your hand. I touch anybody that I can. Lady, God bless you, sweetheart. God bless you. I pray right now a boldness to come on you. I pray for a prophetic anointing. Paul prayed for the people in Ephesus. That he prayed that they would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I like the way it says in the NIV, it says to know Jesus better. You know, you can keep knowing him better. If you know him better, he'll come out of you more. Bless you right now for boldness. And the power of the Holy Spirit is not limited. Thank you right now. Thank you right now that perfect love drives out fear. Bless you right now. Just talk to God some more. Just talk to the Lord more. young girls.
I want to pray for anybody who needs healing right now. Healing. I mean, if you've got a problem and you want the Lord to heal you, let's, let's do it. Okay, so this lady here, if you need healing, let's just stand up over here. And if we want to, if we need some help in ministry, Doug, Pastor Hug, just the people that need prayer for healing, just come right up here, and if you could just comfortably look in the front, maybe shoulder to shoulder, or close like that, so we can just see who's who.